0: Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. About 15 years ago, I was privileged to be a part of a television program hosted by Naomi Judd. I participated in a very small segment of our program, which included a panel being asked a question or several questions one by one by a person on the street. So somebody from the program would go out in advance asking random people on the street to ask if there was some sort of theological question for which they'd always wanted an answer. And then these questions would be brought back to us, the panel, and played for us so that we would attempt to answer their questions. I served on this program with several people, but in particular, I was privileged to serve with the Reverend Dr. Tom Long, who was a professor at Emory University and has since retired. Tom Long was, and still is, considered by many, myself included, to be one of the best Christian preachers America has to offer. And on this particular show that we served on together, I noticed a pattern The taped question would be played, and we each would speak briefly about our thoughts, our insights, into the question. And then very often, Tom would say this. I think we're asking the wrong question. He would go on to show how the way the question was phrased forces us into a limited discussion. But if we rephrase the question in a new way, we very often can get to some more interesting and enlightening answers. So, the question for today is a classic one. I've been asked this question countless times in my ministry, and it will no doubt be the subject of a number of episodes of this podcast. And here it is Is the Bible true? This seems like such a fundamentally important question, and yet, to quote Tom Long, I think we are asking the wrong question. Now, I hope you'll indulge me for a moment. Allow me to tell a story that may sound like a digression, but I believe it'll help make the point. When my wife and I were very young parents and our son was not quite two, we went to visit some closest friends at their lakefront property just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our friends lived in a little summer cabin behind his parents' home, and they had a wonderfully large flat yard they shared with his parents. They had a dock, a boat, and a jet ski. And during the summer, we'd often be there every weekend together, boating, jet skiing, or just floating in the water, enjoying our time together. Now, on this one particular day, everyone wanted to go for a boat ride except for me because I wanted to go out on the jet ski. So our friends, my wife Sarah and our son, loaded up in the boat and I hopped on the jet ski and I followed them out of the cove. Now the older style jet skis don't have a seat on them, if you remember seeing them. They're almost more like a little low slung surfboard that you kind of have to drag along behind before you can actually get up enough speed to stand up on them and you're balancing on them. And there's a little indentation in the back of it where you're body goes and then eventually your knees and then eventually your feet as you stand up and there's a handlebars that raise up as you stand up in the back of this watercraft. Because those very first jet skis were so small and underpowered, they didn't handle rough water very well. So I followed the boat from the cove out into the open water until the water became too rough and then I headed back into the cove to ride around on my own and I watched them motor away. About 20 minutes later, they came back. I was in the middle of the cove, enjoying the day, floating in my life vest and hanging onto the side of the jet ski. And they pulled up next to me, turned off the boat, and it was a wonderful moment together, enjoying the peace and tranquility of the nature and the water as we all just kind of floated and chatted right there. After a couple of minutes, our son, Daniel, wanted to come to me, so my wife handed him over to me, and I placed him sitting in the tray area of the jet ski with his back towards the front and his little legs dangling off the back of the jet ski into the water. I guess it was five or ten minutes, something like that. We stood, and we talked, and he splashed and kicked, and we were all having fun, and I was hanging on to to the edge of the jet ski and him. And at that moment— the moment I wasn't watching, Daniel pivoted on the jet ski and pushed the start button. The throttle was a trigger style, so the moment the craft started to move, it threw him backwards and caused him to pull the throttle trigger into full acceleration position. And in an instant, my own flesh and blood was torn from my hands. Time stood still as I watched my not-even-two-year-old rocket across the lake towards a dock on the other side, and we screamed and our voices reverberated to the heavens, begging Daniel, our son, to let go and fall off. Now, before I go on with the point of the story, I do want to tell you, Daniel's fine. Today, he's 30, married, has two kids, and is doing well. But on that day, he wound up hitting the dock that I described and splitting his scalp open. And he still carries the scar on his forehead, which I see as a sign of my most shameful parenting moment. And he saw, throughout his childhood, as something that made him cool, different, and was a great story later on in college to tell at parties. Okay, let me tell you something now about this story it absolutely happened whenever we see our friends from that day we always recount together the story of our worst day ever that we spent together but let me tell you something else about this story my flesh and blood were not literally torn from my hands those though those were the words i used time did not actually stand still and i am certain even though we yelled as loud as we could, that our voices did not actually reverberate into the heavens. My son didn't actually rocket. He was on a jet ski, and it went just as fast as a jet ski can go. So if those aren't factually true, why did I tell them? Because I could tell the story in such a way that every detail is true, but it would lack the power to allow you to join me for the moment in the truth of what that day was like. We often get caught when reading scripture in evaluating if everything in the story is factually true, and it is really a modern obsession in thinking that what is factually true is more important than what is truth. In Christianity, not long after Jesus had lived, died, and been resurrected, they began to realize that they needed to have a way to pass these important stories on to future generations, and so they began to write them down. These stories that are the biographies of Jesus' ministry are called the Gospels, and there are four of them—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the people who put these stories together were interested in something so much more important than worrying if every detail of the story could match up with a video history of the moment, if there had been one. They believed that the most exciting and amazing news in the history of humanity had happened right in their midst. God had come to live in the midst of humanity in the earthly form of Jesus, and they wanted everyone who heard these words and read these stories to experience the truth. In other words, to experience the power to be found in the story they were telling. You see, true and truth aren't opposites, but they certainly are not one and the same either. Anyone who's ever been a parent of a teenager knows that most teenagers have the ability to answer their parents' questions with answers that are factually true while studiously avoiding sharing the truth of what they've been up to. It doesn't matter if you're a person who's never heard of Christianity and are encountering the words of the Bible for the very first time. Or, even if you're a Christian, curiously encountering stories, words, and traditions of another faith like Buddhism, Islam, Judaism, or any other religion, you should never approach someone's sacred stories by asking, is this true? Because that question is not going to reveal anything. Instead, the question to ask is, what is the truth the adherence of this faith Understand is offered by these stories and texts. Also, this technique works wonders with the faith you've grown up with, that you've taken for granted, and that you've kind of ceased to see the depth of. When you look at the stories from your own faith, rather than asking, do I think this story is true? Ask, what is the truth this story was created to teach? And you just may discover that the familiar and even well-known stories of your own tradition suddenly have new revelations and discoveries to offer. Thank you for listening. If you have questions for me to tackle that you'd like for me to address— In this podcast, you can write me and my email address, which is skypilot, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. That's skypilot with three T's on the end, at gmail.com. Skypilot with three T's at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Skypilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember... The sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.